What is good, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of the Cars and Friends podcast with the Carman Secret. This is the podcast where you get the lowdown on the auto finance industry, learn how to save thousands of dollars when buying a car, as well as have a little fun along the way. Please be sure to like and follow this podcast, as well as Car Buyer U on all social media platforms at Car Buyer U. That's C A R B U Y E R, the letter U. So let's get going and jump into it. I want to talk about auto finance myths. These myths are what I call urban car finance legends that have spread across the internet and most people now consider them facts. But in reality, they are far from factual. Myth number one, my credit score determines my approval when I'm buying a car. This could not be further from the truth. Credit score or your FICO score is one part of the credit profile, but it is not the main determining factor when banks and underwriters are reviewing a application for a loan. As a matter of fact, the credit score plays less a part nowadays than ever before. Credit scores are fluid entities. They move and fluctuate daily pretty much, and they can be influenced a number of different ways. That's why the body of someone's credit or their actual actual credit report has more bearing on an approval than the score itself. Typically, the score itself will slot someone into a rate, a rate tier, more than likely, but not necessarily guarantee an approval just because the score may be relatively high. And there's a number of reasons why that is the case. There's a number of reasons why a, a FICA score can be high without someone having the credit, uh, the body of credit to support that credit score. So let's talk about the history of credit real quick. The history of credit boils down to three major credit bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. Those are the three major credit bureaus. Hopefully you have heard about them. FICA score was developed by a company called the Fair Isaac Corporation, hence the term FICO, F-I-C-O. And it is used in roughly 90, 95% of all lending decisions. Now, as I mentioned, FICA uh, credit score or your FICA score and your credit report are two different entities. They work together and what's in your credit report a lot of times will dictate your credit score, but not entirely. So here's the difference between the two. A credit report is a detailed breakdown of your credit history and personal information that is prepared by a credit bureau. The credit bureaus receive information about you from your creditors and they use that information to build a credit report on you. Now your credit score or FICA score is simply a numerical representation of you as a credit risk. The higher your credit score, the lower of a risk you are to lenders. So that's the difference between the two. Now, as I mentioned, how can someone have a high credit score without having a body of uh, credit report to back that up? Well, it's very simple. You can obtain credit um, for your credit score a number of different ways. And the main way that we have seen, when I say we as the bank and as, as the underwriters, the main way that we see how people get high credit scores without having a body of credit is by being an authorized user. 
on someone else's credit cards for the most part. So what happens is, let's say a mom or dad or whoever is older, they have more established credit, they have very good credit, and they have the body, the bulk of credit to support their high credit score. They may be an 800 FICA score person, and they have mortgages, they have paid off autos, they have credit cards that have very little you know, uh, debt ratio, things like that. And so they have a very high credit score and a very strong credit profile. They would add their child, more than likely, as an authorized user on one of their credit cards. And so if this credit card, say, has a ten dollars or $20,000 credit limit, and the parent has had that card for 10, 15, 20 years, all of that time and the entire available balance would roll to their child when they add them as an authorized user. That would make the credit score jump up because it is a long established credit card with a 20 year history, you know, and a $20,000 limit that just hit the child's credit bureau. So that would make the score go up. But when you look at the body of their credit, it doesn't show that they were the person who's had this for 20 years and has paid it off. And there's no other information on their credit report to kind of help substantiate that credit card. So if you're a 25 year old person and you have a credit card that has a 20 year history on it and $20,000 limit, and you have nothing else on your credit report, well, your score is going to be high because there's no negatives on there and that credit card will help. But when we look at the credit report, we'll see that there's no other information on there. And we look at the age and we know that, you know, this is not this person's real credit. And it actually shows as an authorized user, <laughs> you know, there's a indication when we look at the credit bureaus and we pull the credit bureaus to determine if we're going to extend credit to someone, there's an indication right there that shows this person's an authorized user. So that's an example of a high credit score without having a strong credit report. So if that person goes and applies for a high dollar amount, you know, we probably are not going to approve that by that person solely because all the details are not matching up. High credit score alone will not get you an approval. So that is an absolute myth. And it's really about establishing and building your entire credit portfolio, having a nice mix of credit as well. And then when you're in a position, after you have those things established, you're in a position, then apply for credit at the lower levels and then kind of move up as your situation improves, as your credit gets stronger, as you get more credit history, you know, as you get older, that is when you get to the higher levels. But don't, don't think because you have an authorized credit card, you have an 800 credit score or even a 750 credit score, you can just go to the nearest luxury car dealer and get an approval, you know, because you have a decent job, you make decent money. It, it doesn't quite work that way. Myth number two. I don't need good personal credit to finance a car in my business name. This is another hot topic floating around the internet. There's, I don't know what you want to call them, gurus or whatever out there saying, hey, you you don't, you can have terrible personal credit and you can get a G-Wagon under your business name and then you don't have to pay for the G-Wagon because you can write it off because it's over 6,000 pounds. <sighs> There's, I guess, some facts in that statement, whereas if it's over 6,000 pounds, you can write it off, but there's not, not much else factual about what I just mentioned that's going around the internet. So business credit, or in this case, buying cars and putting them in your business name is a viable option. It is a, uh, it is a path that a lot of business businesses like to take. There are tax implications and benefits to doing that. Uh, anything tax related, I would always say uh, and defer that you contact a licensed uh, tax professional um, 
to make sure that before you do something, before you make a purchase to make sure it is going to qualify for what you think it does based on your situation, based on your business's situation, and just based on the current laws and tax codes that change every single year. So this is not a situation where you just want to do something then ask for forgiveness later because the IRS does not believe in forgiveness. This is a situation where you want to make sure everything is in order first and then make the appropriate decisions that's best for you. So find yourself a good CPA and make sure you communicate with them what's going on and you will not find yourself in the bad graces of the IRS. Because once you get there, that is not, not a fun place to be. So going back to the myth, I don't need good personal credit to finance a car in my business name. You do need good credit to finance a car in your business name. And that's because the large majority of businesses, small businesses in particular, when they finance a car through their business name, they will have to become a PG or personal guarantor on that loan. Meaning the banks want to check you, check your credit as a personal guarantor because your business probably doesn't have the credibility quite yet to get a automotive loan in their name solely. And that's not saying there's anything wrong with your business. That's not saying your business is not generating money. That's not saying your business is not legitimate, but the criteria for a business only loan auto loan is very high, very, very high. And most people just do not qualify for that. Most businesses, I should say, small businesses do not qualify for that, which, which is why most banks require a personal guarantor. And you gotta be careful about that because there's two types. There's a co-buyer situation where that means your business will be on line one and you would be on line two as a co-buyer. They would check both your business credit and your personal credit and the uh, every month they would report the result to both your business credit and your personal credit, which defeat the purpose of really having this in your business name because you do not want it to report to your personal credit. That's the whole point. But there is a way where you can still get a car under your business name. You are a personal guarantor, but if you are a personal guarantor, you, they still check your credit. They still check your business credit. They still check all the income from both sides. And once they approve it at that point, you as the personal guarantor individual, you basically go to the background. The, the every month they will report it to your personal, excuse me, your business uh, credit. So if you're paying it on time, they will, they will report that uh, positive payment history to your business credit, but they will not report it to your personal credit. They, your personal credit will only come into play if your business were to default on that loan. If your business defaulted on the loan, then they go back to the personal guarantor and say, hey, your business is not making this payment. They defaulted on the loan. You need to make these payments now. And that is how 90% of small businesses who buy a car under their business name is going to be set up. And that's probably the best way to go initially because yes, they're checking your credit initially, but it's not reporting to your personal credit. And that helps a number of different ways. If you want to buy, say, a property in your personal name, um, not having that car on there, you know, doesn't affect your debt to income ratio. And it's, you know, it's just a positive all around. So that is typically how you would go about to get a, a, a vehicle in your business name. You want to find a bank that is going to allow you to be a personal guarantor. You do not want a co-buyer situation, ideally, unless you're okay with it reporting to your personal credit as well as your business credit. So that is something to keep in mind. That is a myth that is kind of ridiculous, but it's out there. Um, but that's how it normally goes down. 
Now, you know, I'm not saying every blue moon, there may be a, a special situation where a small business who doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, time and information in with their business gets approved for a business only loan. No personal guarantor, no, no, no personal information whatsoever. That has happened, but the chances of that happening are very low. Um, and most dealers, when you go to a dealer, they'll tell you, no, you know, you, you need to apply it as a personal guarantor or as a co-buyer. But the one thing you want to make sure you need to ask the dealer this, they will, some dealers call everything a PG. Yes, you got to be a PG. Yes, you got to be a PG. But in reality, the banks that they use, it's actually a co-buyer situation, but they're calling it a personal guarantor. And like I just mentioned, there's a distinct difference between the two. So if you are working with a dealer who's working with a bank, you need to make sure you clarify with that dealer, is this bank, do they have, am I a personal guarantor or am I a co-buyer? And make them clearly, clearly state which one it is so you know moving forward. Because if you think you're in a personal guarantor situation and then it turns out you're a co-buyer, after the fact, it's too late at that point because it's going to be on your credit. So that is definitely something to keep in mind. The last myth that I want to talk about is this one. I can return a lease before the lease in maturity date. No, you cannot just return the lease. You can, but what's going to happen is if you were to do that, they would consider that a voluntary repossession. Exactly. You do not want to return a lease before the lease and maturity date if you still have payments to make on that. So let's say you have six months remaining on your lease and for whatever reason you want to get rid of the car, um, you can't make the pay. I don't really care what the situation is, but you just cannot call up the bank uh, and say, hey, look, I, I need to get this lease back because you signed a contract. You signed a lease contract and the contract is binding. And that contract has very specific language in there that says, okay, you're going to get this lease for three years. You know, you're going to drive it 12,000 miles per year. And we expect you to return this car, make, you know, these 36 payments at this amount of money per month. And at the end of that term, we expect you to return our vehicle in satisfactory condition. That's effectively what a lease contract says. And if you do not honor the terms of that contract, it is considered a voluntary repossession. And that is a devastating blow to your credit. Now, if you get yourself in a situation where you can no longer afford a vehicle, the best thing to do is contact the bank and let them know what your situation is. They will work with you if you contact them and explain what your situation is. I'm not saying you're going to get the resolution that you want, but you will get a resolution that is probably better for you than if you just tried to get the car back. I have heard stories of people just taking cars back to the dealership, dropping it off at the dealership lot and walking away. One, the dealership is, is not your leasing finance company who has, you know, given you the, 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 the lease finance on that car. Um, the dealership is just a middleman. And yes, typically you do return leases at the end of a lease to the dealership. So if you have a Mercedes Benz, you return your vehicle to a Mercedes Benz dealer. But that is after the fact. That is after your lease is up. You've satisfied, satisfied all the requirements of the lease and they are set up to take the lease back on behalf of the leasing company. That's different than just taking it to the dealer and dropping it off. That will create a, a whole bunch of problems. But you do have a number of options in regards to a lease. And right now, being... 2022, if you have a vehicle that is a close to the end of your lease uh, that you leased about three years ago, because most leases are three-year leases. So if you have a car that you leased back in 2019, that's coming close to the end of its lease, or maybe 
early 2020 coming um the maturity date is coming up you may have an option to sell that vehicle you are able to sell a lease vehicle that could be myth number four because people think can i sell my lease car because i don't own it i'm leasing it well technically you're right you don't own it but you can sell a lease vehicle because in every lease contract there is what's called a residual value and that's what determines everything about a lease and on your contract, it says at the end of the year lease term, this car, you can buy this car for X amount of dollars. And that is the residual value. That is the bank predicting what the value of that car will be at the end of three years based on how many miles per year you select. And so you have the option to buy the car at that number. And even if you have remaining payments on that particular lease, you basically can still buy the car out. They will give you a, 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 a payoff amount that effectively is the residual value plus the remaining payments. And whatever that amount is, you can literally write a check for that and buy the car outright. Or you can refinance that amount and keep the car. And right now that is an option for some people because used car values, obviously they spiked during the pandemic and they got to some ridiculously high numbers. Those numbers are coming down, but they're still higher than normal. So someone who has a you know, a lease that's coming due, again, they got the car in early 2020 and you have two or three, four more months left on your lease, you can find out what your payoff is, compare that to what the value of the car is currently in the market. And if the value is higher than the payoff, you can just basically buy that car for 20,000, which is, let's say that's your, your, your payoff amount, but the market says your car is worth 25,000, turn around and sell that car and make $5,000. So yes, that is how you can dispose of a lease early, one example, but you cannot just return it early without penalty uh, or at the worst case scenario, that being considered a voluntary repossession, again, which will devastate your credit for years and years and years to come. So people do ask, well, how do I build my credit? And that is very simple. You apply for the appropriate credit based on your situation where you're at in life. And if you're young and you're just starting out, Understanding that having credit doesn't mean you have unlimited use of money because you have to pay it back. So you start off with lower level credit cards, um, maybe gas cards, uh, store cards, uh, department store cards, things like that to build your credit and give you an opportunity to establish your credit. You obviously need to pay the bill back, pay the monthly payments or just pay it off. Ideally, that's what you want to do. And then you look at other credit. You look at maybe getting a small personal loan from a bank uh, or credit union or something like that. So, so you can, again, show that you are credit worthy. You take the loan, you agree to the terms, you pay the terms back, and then that gets paid off. And then that shows on your credit report as a paid off loan. You want to have a mix of credit. So what I just mentioned right there was considered revolving. A credit card is revolving. And it's also considered um, a, a, a personal loan will be an installment loan. So those would be two different types. You also have mortgages, which is a type of installment loan as well as well as auto loans, which is another type of installment loan. So that is how you start your, your credit situation. If you have challenged credit right now, what you need to do is start establishing positive credit on your credit report while you, you know wait for some of the negative things to fall off. Paying a collection account on your credit report does not help you, unfortunately. Once it gets to the point where it's in collections, you know, 
these credit um, debt collectors are going to call and promise you everything in the world to get your money, but you can pay them all day long. They're not going to remove it off your credit bureau. And once you pay them, you know, their motivation to help you remove it from your credit report is zero at that point. So if you're in that situation, you know, it's unfortunate, but I don't, I don't really see why you need to pay it at that point. You want to just move forward with positive credit, adding positive credit to outweigh the negative. And we do look at, when I say again, I'm saying we as the bank underwriters, because that's where my experience is. We give more, we give, we, we give more weight to the newer things than we do the older things. So as your older, maybe collection accounts are being pushed back and there's newer accounts being added that are being paid as agreed, that will hold more weight as, as you move forward because you're showing your current situation as far as credit, repaying credit is better than what it was previously. We understand that things happen in life. Things go up and down. Um, people have different situations in their life that are better or worse. And we are, you know, we're empathetic with that. We really are. Um, and as long as you can show positives now, as opposed to what was previously, we're more, more likely to give someone an opportunity at that point. Again, a dollar amount may be lower than you would like, but you got to start somewhere while you kind of move up and try to build that credit up. It's really important to protect your credit, um, especially when you're younger. And this is why I'm an advocate of teaching uh, the younger generation, if you will. I guess Generation Z is probably the youngest generation. Um, those, the oldest Gen Zs are probably 24, 25-ish in that range. Um, and then you have your millennials before them. It's really important to protect your credit young because you're going to need that credit later on in life. So whether it's to buy a car or buy a house, uh, start a business, anything like that, super, super important to protect your credit. So just remember, your credit score alone does not determine your approval. The totality of your credit bureau determines your approval. In addition to a few other things like your income, the type of vehicle that you're buying, your loan to value or LTV ratio on the deal, the deal structure, a number of different things determine the overall approval, but not just the credit score. Also, you will need to have relatively good credit if you are going to finance a car in your business name, you ideally want to have that situation as a personal guarantor and not as a co-buyer. And remember, you cannot just return a lease early for whatever reason, you have to fulfill the obligations of that lease contract. Someone did ask me, they said, you know, hey, you, uh, you said you have various stories and certain things like that, and we wanna hear more about that. And I didn't want to just start the podcast, you know, first couple episodes with just random stories. I want to provide some value, um, you know, within my niche and my specialty, of course, which is auto finance and auto finance literacy. But, you know, people ask me, you know, about some of these stories. Well, a lot of the stories are derived from my time in the sports and entertainment, you know, division within Mercedes Benz. And one thing I don't, I don't think I mentioned on previous podcasts is in addition to my experience that I did mention, uh, I also own a luxury broker company. And with that company, I dealt with a lot of high net worth individuals uh, as well as high profile individuals. And I dealt exclusively with high end luxury cars or supercars, if you will. And of course, that you know, leads to a lot of interesting stories and conversations with people um, and just getting a chance to meet these people who we normally see on different different avenues, whether it be TV or on a, on a uh, athletic field or something like that, you get a chance to 
or at least I had a chance to deal with them on a different level. And we sat and we talked and just kind of did certain things in the course of doing business. And that's where a lot of these stories come from. So I'll give you a story. I'll give you a story real quick. Um, I sold a car to Magic Johnson and uh, it was part of a deal with a friend of mine who was also in the car biz. Um, you know, Magic's people got a hold of him and we were trying to get the deal worked out. At the time I was in charge of Mercedes-Benz inventory. Um, so he needed a, a specific car. So I tracked this car down for him and we got the deal done. And uh, it was actually a gift for Magic's wife, Cookie, at the time. And so he wanted to surprise her. So he said, hey, you know, can you guys bring the car up to the house? At this time, he lived uh, in Beverly Hills, I believe up near maybe Angelo Drive, way up in Beverly Hills, you know, where the really, really <laughs> nice houses are. So, of course, we agreed to that. And we take the car up to his house. And, uh, you know, he's, he's there by himself. His wife is not home yet. And so we're waiting. You have to wait for his wife to get there and, you know, go the whole thing. So, you know, he invites us in and we kind of go into his house. We have something to drink and whatever. And we're just kind of hanging out. And I've actually met Magic before when he was younger and playing. Uh, you know, I'm a basketball guy. I grew up in Inglewood. So I had a chance to cross paths with him a couple of different times in life. And he's always been a real cool person. And so as we're kind of hanging out, you know, he's like, hey, you know what? I got this idea. I want to show this car to my neighbor. We're like, okay. He's like, he lives, lives right down the street. So we jump in the car and we literally drive like, I don't know, five houses away, you know, across the street, five houses down the street. And so he pulls up in the driveway and it's another big, ridiculously nice house and has a circle driveway. And, you know, we're just like, who lives here? Right. We're thinking it's some business guy. Maybe Magic's a big business guy. Right. Just whoever it can be. But it's his neighbor, obviously. So he pulls into the driveway and he starts to just lay on the horn. Just honk, just wouldn't let off the horn. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, yes, that seems kind of rude. You just <laughs> blown the horn in front of this person's house, right? Okay, well, it's a big house. Maybe they're way in the back and he needs to hit the horn to let the guy know, right? Okay. This is kind of pre, you know, real, real pre, you know, real cell phone. So, you know, the whole just send a text and someone come down kind of before all that time. And so he's hitting the horn, hitting the horn, hitting the horn. And we're standing there. We're actually outside the car, we're just kind of standing outside the car at this point, Magic is leaning in, in, leaning in the car, hitting the horn. And so eventually the front door opens, right? And this guy comes out cussing up a storm. MF this, what the F is this? Who is making all this MF and noise out here? And lo and behold, the king of the MF comes walking out. And if you guys have uh, watched movies, you would know the one actor who is known for dropping F-bombs every single chance he gets. And that would be Samuel L. Jackson himself. So we're sitting there like, you gotta be kidding me. Magic comes over, drives in front of Samuel L. Jackson's house, lays on a horn, and Samuel comes out cussing up a storm. And it's just like he is in the movies. He sounds exactly the same way, and he's dropping every MF you can think of, and smiling the whole time. <laughs> just part of his vocabulary, and it was the funniest thing ever. So he comes out, magic's off the horn. Once he sees it's magic, he's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me, Irvin. You and this, blah, blah, blah. You know, again, cussing like a sailor. But it's funny. These guys are laughing. They're hugging it out. Magic introduced us to him. He's like, hey, what's going on? These are my car guys. And I got this car for Cookie. What do you think? What do you think? Right? And Samuel's like, man, now I'm going to have to buy a car for my wife. And Magic just kind of shrugged his shoulders like, oh, well. <laughs> and it's just to see them, you know, those people we see on TV or, or plan or whatever the case may be, they're just regular people. They're, they're funny. They do 
funny, weird stuff, stuff that we would do to our friends a lot of times is, you know, almost like a, uh, a joke or a crank or something like that. Just they're still just regular people at the end of the day. And they like to hate, you know, razz each other as well. And they like to have fun and their problems are just, you know, on different levels. Like now Samuel has to go buy a hundred thousand dollar car for his wife. <laughs> you know, if I wouldn't brought my Honda <laughs> honk the horn in front of my buddy's house, you know, he wouldn't just go buy his car, wife, uh, his wife a car at that point. But you know, you understand my point. They are still just regular people. They're, they're funny. They're, they're interesting on different levels because I have never, ever talked to magic all the times I've communicated with him, never talked to him about basketball, what he accomplished on the basketball court or, or how great I thought he was. And I did. He was my favorite player of all time. And not one time did I ever tell him that because it's irrelevant. And he hears that from everybody else. So he doesn't need to hear it from me. It doesn't make a difference. What I did ask him was, hey, how did you get into business? You know, what, what steps did you take after your playing days were over to position yourself to build this business empire? I was more concerned about that because I could never be Magic Johnson on the court, even though at this time I was already you know, an adult too old to play anyway. But even if I wasn't, I'm not Magic. I'm not a 6'9 freak of nature who can handle the ball and do the things he does. So he can tell me basketball all day long and I still couldn't take what he's telling me and translate it on the basketball court because I'm not him which is probably why he wasn't a very good coach because I believe he got frustrated with the players because they couldn't do what he did. And it's like magic. Nobody can do what you did. That's the reason why you're magic. And so I think a lot of great players struggle with that because they cannot, their, their skills and talents are not transferable. They, they cannot teach it to someone else. And I think typically, you know, you just don't see very many all time great players become great coaches. And I think that's one of the main reasons. So, that's the Magic Johnson, Samuel L. Jackson story. And um, again, I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was a great story. Um, it's interesting, though, because Samuel never bought that car. <laughs> At least he didn't buy it from me. So maybe he got it from someone else. He didn't get it from my buddy either. But, um, you know, they were good guys. And and uh, that, was a, that was a very fun and interesting situation. And uh, ended up getting invited to a party from that. That was super fun. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you are not a known entity, no one knows who you are. You're an unknown person, but you are at these parties where everyone at the party is kind of known, but no one knows who you are. You actually become a somewhat center of attention. You become the intriguing person in the room because no one knows who you are, but you're in the building, you're in the party. So apparently, you know, someone or, you know, something, or you do something that's good enough to have you in this party, but, but you're not a celebrity. So everyone wants to know. And I've had so many people roll up on me at these parties and just asking me, hey, you know, what's your name? What do you do? You know, who do you know? Some some people just come right up to you. Why are you here? <laughs> the assholes of the world will say stuff like that. But it's, it's just a very interesting dynamic. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just took advantage of, of knowing the right people and putting myself in the right situation. So thought that was an interesting story. Hopefully you uh, thought that was entertaining as well. And um, we'll get into some more stuff later on. But um you know, at this point here, I think I will wrap it up, try to keep these uh, podcasts relatively short for right now. When I have some guests on, they'll extend a little bit longer. But for right now, that should pretty much do it. Be sure to like and follow this podcast. Set your alerts so that you know when a new episode drops. I don't necessarily drop them once a week or, or, or have a schedule like that. So a lot of times I may drop them 
you know, period. I may drop them a couple of days apart. I may drop them, you know, 10 days apart. So if you go ahead, hit like, and follow and set the uh, notifications, you will be notified whenever a new episode drops. And as always, uh, follow, like, and share uh, car buyer. You that's at C A R B U Y E R U across all social media platforms, including Instagram, TikTok. Um, Facebook, Twitter, and such, including YouTube as well. I post YouTube um, shorts and videos there as well. Don't forget to check out the website, carbuyeru.com. That is where you can pick up all of the Car Buyer U products, eBooks, and courses to help you get your best deal and save thousands of dollars on your next car. Until then, I will see you next time. Be well. <laughs>